Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 2 Samuel chapter 1, suicide in the Bible. And it's true. It's here. And it raises questions in people's minds about You know, you've heard some people say, if you commit suicide, that is an unforgivable sin. And to be just completely blunt with you, that's wrong. There are no unforgivable sins, except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is to reject Jesus Christ, really, and that He is the Messiah of God and receive Him into your life. If someone is going to take their life, they've got to be at a really low spot. And some people are not stable, and something happens to them. Look, I'm not, I'm not here to justify anything, but I'll say this. We ought to never come to quick conclusions about what we think we know about someone's destiny. You and I are not the ones who determine where someone ends up. That's God's business. In fact, of all the things the Bible says to judge, the one thing that we cannot be the judge on is someone's eternal destiny. We can have a pretty good idea. We can say to someone, I say it all the time, if you don't repent, you're going to end up under the judgment of God. You'll end up in hell if you don't repent. But I don't determine that. I'm a messenger of the good news of the gospel. I tell the bad news so I can get to the good news. But suicide does not mean that someone's not with the Lord. We've had some cases where people that we've known and they had a Christian testimony and something happened. I'm not the judge. I'm not claiming to be the judge, but I'm just saying let's be careful because we do have some things that occur in the Bible. The armor bearer, we don't know much about him. We don't know what his condition was before the Lord. We do know Saul knew the Lord at one time. Then an evil spirit came into his life. All kinds of debate and conjecture about where is Saul today, but we don't know. Even Solomon's life ended poorly. He started well, but he made huge mistakes at the end of his life. We never use grace as justification for sin, but we've got to be careful as people that we don't sweep in and start making judgments on people about things that we don't know. We just don't know. God is a God of grace And so that's where I try to rest in things that I don't know. And I will tell you this. um, This is just from a preacher's heart. I have been invited to many services, and I've presided over them as a pastor, and I did not know the spiritual condition of the person who was dead. And I decided, and this was from some counsel from other pastors, I would not make commentary on someone who I didn't know where they ended up. My job there was to preach the good news to those who were still alive and could make a decision. So sometimes we think we need to say something when we don't. I couldn't make commentary on that person. I might have a good idea, but I still don't know for sure. So what I do is preach the good news to those who still have breath in their lungs and can decide for Christ. Amen? I think that's a wise thing to do. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, We don't know for sure if Saul really killed himself, and here's why. This is 2 Samuel 1. Um, 
There's a young man that comes from the battlefield. Skip down to verse 3. David said to him, from where do you come? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, well, how did things go? Please tell me. And he said, the people have fled from the battle. Also, many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. This is verse 5. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? He, he really almost couldn't believe it. He wanted to confirm it. And the young man who told him said, by chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen pursued him closely. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me and said, and I said, here I am, verse 8. He said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me, Please stand beside me and kill me, for agony has seized me, because my life still lingers in me. So I stood behind him and killed him, because I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown which was on his head and the bracelet which was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so also did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Now, I'll just tell you that commentators say, one, maybe the Malachite lied and Saul really did kill himself. Second view is no, he told the truth and Saul fell on his sword but didn't quite finish the job And his life still lingered in him, and the Amalekite came by and finished the job. That's where a lot of scholars uh, lean. Uh, I'll tell you this. If the Amalekite was lying, it was a very bad career move because he's killed in a few verses by David for killing God's anointed. I'll let you wrestle with that one. But there's an irony here. If you go back to 1 Samuel 31, here's the irony. If it's true... Guess who killed Saul ultimately? Not suicide. Who killed him? An Amalekite. And Saul's sin was not killing the Amalekite king and leaving the job undone, if you will, and making excuses for it. And isn't it ironic that who ends up killing Saul? An Amalekite. Here's the lesson. If God tells you to deal with something in your life and you partially obey. You know, Jesus said if your hand causes you to sin, do what? Cut it off. I don't know. Maybe we'll start with a finger. (laughs) Now, you all know he is not speaking literally. He is saying take radical measures with things that are causing you to stumble. God told Saul, take out the Amalekites. God had his reasons. Saul did not obey the irony is very clear. We have our reasons for partial obedience. Oh God, I don't know. Should I really take it that far? And sometimes it comes back to bite us. God forbid if it comes back to be our demise. I'm going to say this to you because I think you all know this. There are people in our world who have been in Christian churches, sat under Bible teaching, been in the church, had a testimony, served in a ministry, went back to their old life and perished in that old life. It became their demise because of partial obedience. It's a serious thing. Well, Saul, his three sons back in 1 Samuel 31, armor bearer, 
All of them, verse 6, they die together. On that day, they all died together. Disobedience, sin, and now people are dead. And when the men of Israel, verse 7, who were on the other side of the valley with those who were beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled. And then the Philistines came and lived in them. So the Philistines won. The people who were on the other side uh, of the valley, when they saw what was going on beyond the Jordan, they became refugees of war. They didn't want to stick around. They decided they were not going to guard their property. They were not going to try to fight for their houses or their possessions. And they bailed from the cities. And the cities uh, would include Issachar, the areas of Issachar and Manasseh. And the Philistines came and took over. It's almost reminiscent of what has happened in Europe with uh, church buildings that are now being used for other purposes. The church is gone. Things are being sold from those buildings. They're empty cathedrals. Nobody in them anymore. In fact, some of them are being filled by atheist churches. You know that? That's a new phenomenon now. Atheist churches. They get together, they sing a few songs, they have a speaker, they have donuts just like us. They copy everything we do, which is kind of funny, isn't it? They just have one thing missing, God. (laughs) They do church without God. Hello, I, I don't know. I mean, I like you guys and everything, but I, I think I, can, I have other options. But they do it for a social event. It's almost like they're thumbing their nose at God. The institution that you founded, we'll do it, but we'll just do it without you. Okay, says God, you want to do life without me? Go ahead. The houses are empty. Now the Philistines are in. And it came about on the next day, Verse 8, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, very common that when there were dead uh, soldiers on the battlefield, the people group that won would come and they would loot. And we've seen this in modern phenomenon when cities are going haywire. People are breaking into shops and looting. Well, they would go and they would walk among the dead and they would loot. They would steal whatever they could. Well, the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain and they would take pretty much everything. They found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. I don't know if this is the first realization that Saul, they've killed the king and his sons, but now they come and they're going to strip him. They, this is brutal, but here's what happened. They cut off his head, just as David had done to Goliath, the Philistines did to Saul. They stripped off his weapons, the last vestments of royal garments, if you will. They, div- they divest him of it. And they sent them, that is what they took off Saul, throughout the land of the Philistines, notice this, to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They were partying. The Philistines had good news. Good news is the word that we use for the gospel. The Philistines had a gospel, quote unquote, that day. You know what it was? We've defeated Israel, and by extension, they believed that if they defeated an army, they had defeated its God. That had happened in chapter 4 when they took the ark and they put it in the, in the temple of Dagon, their God, and he was among a pantheon of gods, and Ashtaroth was next to him. She was the, the, the female goddess, if you will, and he was the God of the Bible was supposed to be among the pantheons now of Dagon. He's the chief God, and the God of the Bible will now be subservient to 
to Dagon and his temple, but that didn't work out really well. You all know what happened, right? They rolled the ark in there or whatever, and, and Dagon kept falling over, right? And then he was broken, and that was all a picture that, no, you haven't, your God's not greater than the God of the Bible. God is just dealing with his people. Sometimes God allows you to be defeated for greater purposes in your life. Let me say that one more time. Sometimes God will let you taste defeat. Not because he's weak. Not because he's changed. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and how long? Forever. He doesn't change. Sometimes he'll let us taste defeat to teach us lessons about life. And maybe so that we won't lose in the end. And so the Philistines now are having a great old time and they think that they've won everything and they put Saul's weapons in the temple of Ashtaroth, that's the, the uh, deity on the female side, maybe as an offering to her for the victory, or so-called. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Now you all know when you look at Hebrew words, the word Beth, we have Bethlehem, the word Beth is house. Lachem or Lahem is bread. So Bethlehem is the house of bread. If you do a tour of Israel, you can go to Bethshan, or they call it Beitshan. It's a very strategic location in Israel. I got a chance to see the ruins. It's a very interesting site for excavation. It's being excavated by layers over and over again. They're coming up with all kinds of discoveries, but they found areas of worship and temples and that kind of thing. And interestingly enough, Bethshan or Beitshan means the house of rest or the house of security. And where does Saul end up being pinned to the wall? In the house of rest. That is just interesting and bizarre. This area belongs to Manasseh. And there he is. Now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead, a place that Saul had delivered, heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. Uh, Saul had rescued them from humiliation and foreigners. That's uh, chapter 11. All the valiant men rose and walked all night, several miles, and took the body of Saul. And now we learn that they did this not only to Saul, but to his sons, including Jonathan. They took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Now I will park on another thing that comes up here. What? Israelites who honor the dead by burying them all throughout the Bible are burning bodies? What is going on here? Does this now tell us that cremation is acceptable in the eyes of God? I'll tell you this. I don't think cremation is that big of a deal. I know that people wrestle with that. It's not, to me, uh, that important of an issue. But here's what the Jews did do. They would burn a body, but not allow the bones to be incinerated. Because their concern, unlike the Egyptians, was not about preserving flesh. It was about preserving bones. And the bones of patriarchs are moved around to proper places for the honoring of the dead. In fact, Amos 2.1 says, if you incinerate the bones, this is the idea 
of the language, then it is an abomination. I'll let you wrestle with that. Or some sort of desecration. In 2 Samuel 21, David moves the bones of Saul and Jonathan and puts them into the family grave of, of Kish, who is Saul's father. So I'll say this to you. Here's my understanding of what the Jews did. They would allow perhaps the flesh to be treated in this way, but not the bones, because they preserved the bones and even looked forward to the resurrection. And that's kind of how they dealt with the dead, because this is an interesting verse, and it brings up some questions about how we deal with the dead. We want to honor the dead and anticipate the resurrection, but their emphasis was on the bones and not necessarily on the flesh. So I hope that helps. You'll notice in verse 13 it says, And they took their bones and buried them. That is the men of Jabesh Gilead. They took their bones, so they didn't burn the bones, and buried them under the tamarisk tree, which is where Saul used to sit all the time and give orders. Probably a, a symbolic gesture. At Jabesh and fasted seven days in light of what happened. Do you remember when Jesus died as we wind down now at the end of 1 Samuel? And there was a man who came to ask for the body of Jesus. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a secret disciple. I wonder if that's you. <laughs> anyway, he was secret because of fear of the Jews, but he was on the ruling council, and he mustered up the courage, and he asked for the body of Jesus, and he laid Jesus' body in his own unhewn tomb and fulfilled prophecy in the book of Isaiah by doing so, by the way. And he asked for that body, and do you know that some years back there was a story that came out that they had found the bones of Jesus. Do you remember this? They found the bones, and, and they found an ossuary and so forth. That's what they're called. They're, an ossuary is literally a bone box. Well, they did not find his bones. That was a bogus story. It's a bunch of hogwash. You ain't going to find his bones because he's alive. Here's the deal. That king is dead. That king is dead. Saul's dead. David's dead. His tomb remains today, but Jesus is alive. You cannot destroy God. In the same body in which he died, he rose and he told Thomas, who was a skeptic, and we all appreciate Thomas because he asked the question everybody else was probably thinking. I don't know. Can I really believe? I'm not going to believe unless I see the nail prints and touch. He was an empiricist. You know what an empiricist is? I want empirical, tangible evidence. If that's you, that's okay. We'll just call you Thomas. It's all right, but anyway. And the Lord appeared. I think it was eight days later. And he said, Thomas, come into my office. I don't think he dishonored Thomas. I think he wanted to answer Thomas's question. You got questions? I think the Lord wants to answer those questions. The evidence is there. And he said, go ahead, put your hands here. Go ahead, touch my side. Don't be without faith. Believe. And Thomas bowed before him and said, my Lord and my God. That wasn't a Jewish way of saying, I'm surprised you're risen. No, they didn't talk that way. That was a confession. You are Lord and you are God. You have backed up what you said you were going to do. You know, we have all these people talking about religious movements and spiritual life and all this. I'll tell you what, 
There's not another person who walked the face of the earth who said, kill me. You want evidence? Kill me, and in three days I will raise myself from the dead. And he did, and he is still alive. The king lives, amen? And he said, because I live, you will live also. And he gathered his disciples on another mountain in Galilee. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's risen. Some people doubted. Some worshiped him. He said, look, boys, all authority, not some, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of how many? All the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, thank you for the book of 1 Samuel. Thank you that the king lives. Thank you that you are a king of kings and lord of lords. We worship you. My God, my Lord, and my God. I hope we can all say that tonight. My Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And Lord, with that, I seek your face along with your precious people tonight. And I ask a question with your head and heart bowed. Is he your Lord? Is he your God? Is he your shepherd? Are you following him? Only you can answer that in your heart. God knows you know. If you haven't been following him, tonight's the night for a redirect, a U-turn, maybe an adjustment. Just say, pray it right now if it's you. Don't hesitate. Don't wait till it's too late. Say, Lord Jesus, pray it out loud if it's you. Come into my life. I believe you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead to justify me. I turn from my sin and I turn to you right now. Lord, take my weakness, my idols, my partial obedience and change my heart, oh God. Make it like you. Make me your child, Father. Lord, thank you for your patience with all of us. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sin, O oh Lord, who could stand? With you, there's forgiveness. You tell us as far as the east is from the west, so far. Have you removed our transgressions from us? We just want to say we love you because you first loved us. Help us to follow you all the days of our life. When we skin our knee and make mistakes, help us to get up by your grace and move forward and not backward. Help us to stay on track and to know you are so good and loving and awesome, patient. And we know you have a plan for our lives, Lord. Help us to walk in that plan. We are just so comforted by your goodness to us, your grace that you pour out. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on your people, Lord? Fill them afresh. Shower them with new strength, new eyes, many blessings that they cannot contain. Change our hearts to make them more like you, Lord. Whatever you want to do, extend your hand of healing to this young girl, Victoria, as we're praying in the Spirit right now. Just, Lord, extend your hand and heal her, we pray. 
And anyone else who needs healing in this room tonight, Lord, your spirit is here. Would you do a work? Would you heal emotional issues and physical challenges and lack of faith or struggles or whatever it might be? Would you heal relationships, Lord? Would you just work among us? We're just open to how you would speak to us and move in our lives. And we just want to say we love you. We thank you for this book we've studied together. We thank you for your holy word. And we know it will not come back void. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Living Truth Radio, and we have the privilege of coming over this station to you. But um, the privilege does have a cost, and we just want to take a moment to let you know that we want to thank you for praying for us and partnering with us on Living Truth Radio. There's a way that you can give to this radio broadcast. We do have some wonderful open doors, but we do need you to partner with us in prayer and in giving. If you can give to the ongoing radio ministry of Living Truth, we deeply appreciate it. Uh, when Oscar and I walk into this studio and we have Cameron doing recording for us, none of us get paid to do radio. We're doing it because it's a passion. And if you can partner with us, we'd appreciate it. Here's how you can help us out. You can go to livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. Click on the Donate tab. You'll see a picture of Pastor Michael there. Make sure that when you go to the PayPal account, you indicate that your gift is for radio ministry. If you'd like to send a gift, you can send it to Living Truth 1009 Arsenal Way. Think of the armor of God. Corona, California 92880. Again, that is Living Truth 1009 Arsenal Way. Corona, California 92880. If you have any needs that we can help you with, you can always give us a call. The office is open on the West Coast here in Southern California, Tuesday through Friday from 9 to about 5 in the afternoon. Our number is 951-735-2856. You can find out all that information and directions to Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona by going to our website. If you're ever in the area, we'd love to have you come and worship with us. We have services at 9 and 11.15 a.m. We have a lot of things for kids. We have childcare, Sunday school classes that run concurrent with the services. And you can find out all those details one more time at livingtruthradio.org. On behalf of Oscar Santa Cruz and Cameron Thomas, this is Pastor Michael Lance. We'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and we have an opportunity to expand our reach. We exist to build up believers and reach out with the gospel to others. And we need you, our listening family, to partner with us in prayer and in giving in order to do that. You can give in a couple different ways. One way is to go online to livingtruthradio.org, or you can send in your offering to Living Truth Christian Fellowship, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.